the, uh, uh, this past uh, summer, I uh, had the chance to have a sabbatical. And the, uh, uh, the, it was really, really good. Uh, it was, elders were incredibly generous to, to devote that uh, uh, to me. But one of the projects I did was to completely remodel my bike. Uh, my bike was 17 years old, and it, had, uh, it was creaking like crazy. Stuff was breaking on it. Uh, it was getting pretty bad. And so it, it desperately needed some, some help. So uh, I, I needed to change almost all the components on it. And so I decided to strip it down and repaint it. So it, it used to be kind of a blue and, and silver color. And, and I just like black, as you can tell by the shirts. So I just, I just paint, straight painted it black and then began putting the components back on, most of which were new. Now, before you think like I'm really handy, I just need you to know that what carried me through this project was YouTube and Luke Anderson. Uh, those of you who know Luke, Luke's one of our elders here at Riverwood. And if uh, Luke was not in the agricultural consulting business, he would own a bike shop. I mean, the guy knows his stuff. And so he lent me all sorts of tools. I couldn't have done it without those tools. He even gave me some parts that would help me out uh, and, and just a lot of encouragement. But, but Luke couldn't just do it with me. He really wanted to, but not only is he a husband and a dad, but he had his own kitchen remodeling project he was doing. And so he couldn't like babysit me as I'm trying to figure out how to put my bike together. So I like, I'm watching YouTube videos and rewatching YouTube videos, trying to figure out how to go. I mean, it took me probably four times longer than it would have taken Luke. But finally, after like weeks of working on it, I finally got it done. And so to celebrate, Leanne and I decided to go out on just a short little bike ride. We lived just south of the high school and we thought we'd just bike over to CUNA and just kind of take the trails around there. And as we're doing so, my bike's not shifting correctly. I'm frustrated. Like, I can't tell you how many YouTube videos I'd watched, and I still am obviously can't figure this out. And so I, 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 in desperation, go back home. I pull up YouTube. It's not working. And so I call Luke, hanging my head, like, dude, can you come help me? And he had pity on the poor, non-handy guy. So he comes over, and I am not exaggerating. In two minutes, Luke had my bike working. All right? It turned out that my shifting cable wasn't tight enough. I needed more tension in it. It just, it wouldn't work with it being too loose. But see, the reason it ended up too loose is because the, I had probably two days before, maybe, maybe a few, five, six, seven days before, I had been putting the, the cable and, and shifting all that in place, I'd actually made it too tight. Like I, I remember like trying to grab my grip shift and I just couldn't get the thing to work. And so I'd loosened it, but it turns out I loosened it too much. So what I discovered that on my bike, that too little tension is bad, but too much tension is also bad. It's kind of like life. There, there are areas in life where we actually need some tension, but too much of it, and things aren't going to shift. Things are going to break. Let me give you an example. This is going to come as a shock and a surprise to you, but there's a lot of tension in the realm of politics. Yeah, yeah, I know. You don't, this is shocking. You probably don't realize this, but it turns out that the Republicans and Democrats don't like each other a lot. Right? And there, there's not much trust happening right now. Well, I, this next sentence is going to be really hard for someone like me to say, but there actually needs to be some tension in our political realm. Because you see, if, if all of our elected officials got into a room and everyone 100% all the time agreed on everything, and there was absolutely no tension, we wouldn't get the best ideas in America. But uh, let me finish that thought. By having some tension, it allows thoughtful leaders to actually begin to figure out and wrestle with what is going to be best, whether it be for the nation, the state, for an organization. So you need some tension. But I don't think anyone here would say that we don't have enough tension in the political realm. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us would agree that there's, there's way too much tension. Like the week before the election, I read an article that interviewed five Trump supporters and five Biden supporters. And the reason they were being interviewed is that all of them had lost family or close friends because of a difference in political opinion. Uh, in, in the article, one mom was highlighted and her son said, you are no longer my mom and completely broke off the relationship because they could not agree whether Trump or Biden was best. That, that's a little too much tension. Things wouldn't shift. They, they broke. This is not just in politics that we have tension. I, right now in our, our nation, there's, there's a lot of tension over this pandemic. There's, there's a lot of tension in, in issues of race. There's, there's a lot of tension in multiple areas, but we all have felt tension. If you're married, you've felt tension. If you're a kid and have a parent, you've felt tension. If you have a job, you go to school, we've all felt tension. Now, some people, they actually like tension. Like, they, they like the conflict. Uh, in fact, just this last week, and I, I'm in the uh, exchange club, uh, we, we had an individual contact our club and asking that we cease and desist uh, using a certain name for one of our fundraisers because he felt that it encringed upon his business that he had. It was absolutely ludicrous. Well, one particular person in our club asked our executive committee, hey, do I have permission to go after this guy? And they said yes, and she won. The guy dropped his litigation. He's not going to try and sue the Waverly Exchange Club, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. We're a nonprofit. We don't make any money ourselves. But anyway, he, she, she won. The, the guy, you know, let go. And she admitted to the group it was fun. Like, she liked the tension. She liked the conflict. I mean, it was a battle, and she came out victorious. That is not me. I do not like the, the tension. I, I, I want, I'm a peacemaker. I, the, I think my parents named me aptly. The word Aaron means peace. Like I just want to have peace with everyone. I want to like everyone and I want everyone to like me. I, I also have been recently discovering that I, I don't like mystery. I used to think I loved mystery because as a kid, I wanted to be a detective and I would read all the Encyclopedia Brown murder mysteries. And I mean, I, 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 in fact, I just read a murder mystery. I don't know if you know, J.K. Rowling has been putting out a series of books under another name, Robert Galbraith, and they're all murder mysteries. So I just read her fifth one. It just came out and I really enjoyed it. However, what I discovered was about halfway through, I'm like anxious inside. Like, I'm like, what's going on? This is so good, but I, I don't like it because I want to get to the end. I want it to be resolved. Like, maybe it's just because I'm a guy. I just want it fixed. I don't like tension. But the longer that I'm in ministry, the longer I've been following Jesus, just the longer I've been alive, I've been discovering that there are things in life where there is tension and I have to be comfortable with it and I actually have to let it be. Because if you resolve the tension, it actually isn't going to work. Let me give you some examples just within Christianity. Uh, in, in Christianity, the, there's this doctrine about the, a God. Uh, God is seen as a triune God. There's, there's one God seen in three persons. It's, it's a tension. How, how, how can there be one God, and yet it's also God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? How, how does this work? And so because of this tension, there are people who try to resolve the tension. And so they will gravitate towards the one God. And so they say, well, there's really just one God. But that one God sometimes shows himself as the Father, sometimes shows himself as the Son, and sometimes shows himself as the Spirit. This is called modalism. God, God just takes on these different modes. But that's not what the scriptures teach. 
what we see time and again in the scriptures, that there's one God, but this one God is in these three persons and they are completely together. So that means some people, they go so far as to look at the, the three and, and basically they see like three gods and they forget the oneness. But, but again, that is also heresy. One God, three persons, we live in the tension. Another example, the, the scriptures are, are believed to have been written by God. That, that most people who are Christians believe that it's the, the divine inerrant word of God, but yet he worked through human authors. And so there's this tension. How did a perfect God write through these imperfect people? But so some people, they, they, they try to, you know, focus on, on how God wrote it. And it's almost like they, they act as if the people just went into a trance. Like they, they didn't even know what they were doing and God just dictated it through them. But yet when you study it, you see their, their, their backgrounds, their differences between the, the different books. Like, so these human authors had a part to play. And yet when you look at the, this human work and compare it to other human works, the Bible is so different. Like there's such cohesion between these 66 different books and these, these uh, 40 different authors. Like there had to have been a God behind it. It's been God inspired, God breathed. We live in the tension. So this is why today I want to start just a short little sermon series call, that I'm calling Church Intention. And it's a play on words because what we're going to do for three weeks is we're going to look at some things that are intention and how we need to live in that tension, but to do so intentionally. If you're a first time guest with us, uh, you, you actually have picked a great Sunday to be here uh, because by, by being a part of this, you're going to kind of hear who we want to be as a church. We're not perfect. We're not doing everything exactly right. A lot of that's because I'm the pastor, but, but this is, you're going to hear who we want to be. And, and this is also good if you're part of the Riverwood family, because this is going to be a reminder of who God's called us to be. Because now that we've got a building, it can kind of begin to change and shape who we kind of see ourselves to be. And, and I don't want us to make that mistake. I want us to realize that God has given us a mission and we have to stay on that mission. And that this is merely kind of ascending institution to help us go. And, and it's not so much about a place that we just come to and are comfortable. The first tension that we're going to uh, wrestle with in this three-week series today uh, is uh, the, the tension between gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Before I can really talk about those things, though, I, I feel like I need to give a, a few definitions. First, the word gospel. Uh, at Riverwood, we have a definition of the gospel. It is the ongoing story of God redeeming broken and imperfect people and restoring them into the perfect and complete image of Jesus. You see, we call it an ongoing story because we don't think it's just something that happened in the past and we kind of see it back there and go, oh, wow, that, that's kind of cool. Guy died, but he rose again from the dead. Wow, that's awesome. Now I'm going to go to work. We, we see it as being like, you ever watch those movies where something explodes and you see the, 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 you know, like the, the power you know, go out? It, like the latest iPhone 12 commercial, you know, this lady hits a button and all of a sudden the bass kicks in and there's this wave and it just, it just travels because 5G is supposedly so powerful. That's what we see the gospel being like. That when you tap into the gospel, it just explodes through all of time and history and cultures. And it is still working today. But the story is about a loving God creating mankind. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. If you, if you look at creation, you can see some pretty cool things. And if, when you look at animals, you can see some animals with personality, some, some intellect, but, but there's just nothing like humans. That's the image of God in mankind. But we believe that when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, that that image of God within them, it became distorted. It became marred. It became blurred. It became cracked. 
Now, it's still there, but, but it's not the way God intended it. And so God wanted to restore that image. But you see, the penalty of sin was death. But rather than making all of mankind pay for their death, God came down, God the Son, and he went to the cross and he died in our place. And by doing so, when we put our faith in that story, God begins the restoration process within us. And he takes us, these broken and imperfect people, and he begins to restore us into that image of God, into an image of Jesus, so that we will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So when I talk about the gospel today, I'm not talking about gospel music, not talking about gospel choirs, I'm not referring to the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm talking about this story that we believe changes lives to this day. So then what do I mean by gospel doctrine? Well, the word doctrine just merely means like a set of beliefs. And so your gospel doctrine is what you believe about the gospels. So I just revealed to you our gospel doctrine as I defined the gospel for you. Now, I don't think Riverwood has like a special hold on the gospel. Like, I, I don't think like it, it's our thing and everyone else is all wrong. In, in fact, I believe that if you went to a majority of churches that would say they're a Christian church, that they have a gospel doctrine. Like if you sat down with their pastor or maybe their key leaders and just really began to ask them questions, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the cross? What do, you be, do, you, do you believe Jesus rose again from the dead? The, the large majority of them would say, yes, they do believe this all happened. It is true. And it still makes a difference today. They have a gospel doctrine. Now, yes, I, I think some of us, we have familiarity with enough churches to realize that some churches, maybe they talk about money too much, or it, it's all about chasing the miraculous, or maybe it's all about serving out in the community and they kind of forget the Jesus part. If some, they, they actually can get off a, a little bit and get away from the basics of, of Orthodox Christianity and, and, and head off into some heresy. But I believe that the large majority of churches that say they're Christian churches have a gospel doctrine. Some, it may not be as pronounced but they have it. Now, some churches, it is obvious that they have a gospel doctrine. You, you typically can tell these churches that, that are really strong in their gospel doctrine because to them, it's all about preaching. You know, often they have like a great big wooden pulpit so the guy can kind of hammer away on it. You know, they, they have classes. They, they, they have, like, uh, you know, Riverwood, we have growth groups. They might have different groups that you go through or different discipleship program. Like they are all about helping you grow theologically and, and, and develop that vertical relationship with God. That's gospel doctrine. But then there's gospel culture. Uh, by culture, I'm merely just talking about kind of the environment in which you find yourself. And so a, a gospel culture church, they're going to be really strong on just accepting people where they're at. Because the gospel teaches us that even though we were sinners, Christ still died for us. So God accepts us. And so if God can accept a sinner like me, then I can accept others. And so a, a gospel culture church, they're, they're going to accept you no matter what your background, no matter what your skin color, no matter what kind of clothes you walk in with, no matter how much money you make, no matter how many kids you have, or if you're single or divorced or whatever, they're going to accept you because, hey, if God can accept me, we're going to accept you. And so those churches tend to be really vibrant, full of joy. I mean, which makes sense. The word gospel merely means good news. And so they're excited to share this good news with people. And so they just have this incredibly strong gospel culture. Now, as, as I describe this to you, if you look at yourself, you may realize, well, you know what, I, I kind of prefer the churches that are more like gospel doctrine. Others of you going, you know, I, I, I really prefer church that's really heavy in gospel culture. Well, we have these preferences, and, and so do churches. Churches will drift one to the other, and they will lose the tension between these. But there's some inherent dangers in that. Uh, the, the first danger is if you have a gospel doctrine, but you lack gospel culture, you end up in hypocrisy. Zion, we, we pop that next uh, slide up. 
Think about it. If you have this gospel doctrine where you're teaching all about the, the, the love of God, how God loves you so much that Jesus went to a cross, he died for your sins, and now he accepts you, but the culture basically says, yeah, but we don't accept you until you believe exactly like us, until you start wearing the exact same thing as us, as, still, as soon as you start acting like us and you watch the same things as us, suddenly you don't feel accepted there. And so they feel like they're just legalistic. It feels like they're a bunch of hypocrites. But the danger, I mean, if you flip it, there's also another danger. If you have a gospel culture, but you seem to lack having gospel doctrine, you end up with a really flimsy church. Because I mean, th think about it. If you have this culture that says, hey, welcome, you're accepted, come on in, but they're not teaching you to get grounded in the gospel, then when the hard things come along in life, you feel like you've been sold a bill of goods. Like, like you, you, you thought, hey, everything will go great if I just believe this gospel, but now hard things are happening. And it's a little harder to have the same kind of joy as everyone else on the Sunday morning. Your, your faith isn't getting deep and those hard things happen and you slowly end up either leaving the church for some people, they actually end up leaving the faith because they just weren't given the roots in the gospel. And so their faith was flimsy. And so I would argue that the church was flimsy. When you have a church that has gospel doctrine and gospel culture, that is a dynamic church. There is power there. This is the church that's letting you learn all about this amazing life-changing gospel that's resonating throughout all of history. And you experience it and feel it in person. And when you go through the tough times, that church helps carry you through it. And you become more robust in your faith. You become dynamic. And then collectively, that church is making a difference in the world. Now, I know I'm talking to a group of intelligent people. And so you're sitting there going, okay, I, I see where you're going with this, Aaron. You're, you're saying that Riverwood is going to live in that tension, going to be a, a gospel doctrine and a gospel. Well, you're right and you're wrong. Yes, this is who we want to be. But it's not perfectly who we are. I, I think there are some days where we, we gravitate more towards the gospel doctrine side of things. And that, that vibrancy and that just isn't always there. We, we sometimes are just kind of going through the motions. I think there's other times in the life of Riverwood where we have had a wonderful gospel culture, where we've just really been loving each other and supporting each other and, and, and accepting people. And, and, and yet we just haven't been taking seriously the, the gospel and growing in our faith. But overall, I think this is who we want to be. This is our aim. We want to live in that tension. And I want us to live in that tension, but not because I think it's going to make us a cool church. I, I don't think we are to, to live in that tension because it's somehow going to like make us a better church than the other churches around and everyone will want to be a part of us. I, I believe that we are to live in this tension because God calls us to live in this tension. And that's what we see in Titus 2. Before we get back there to Titus, I, I, I just... I'm just going to be open and honest. Um, I, I struggled uh, this past week with finding a, a passage. Uh, the reason that in the very beginning that I almost said, open your Bible to the book of Mark, is we've been in the book of Mark. We started it back in February. We took a break when I was on sabbatical. And then when I came back, we, we jumped back into Mark. And we'll be back into Mark in 2021. And, and what I like about that is first, by, by going through the Bible kind of, you know, verse by verse, section by section, it, it doesn't allow us to skip the uncomfortable parts. You know, there, there are some parts in the Bible that just kind of, oh, makes you squirm because like it just goes against where our culture is at. 
And, and uh, it just makes us a little uncomfortable. But yet, if we believe this really is inspired by God, we, we've got to wrestle with it. Because rather than trying to fit and spin the Bible to fit the way we want it to say, we need to figure out how to spin and fit our, our lives with what God has already said. And, and so I like going through kind of ber, uh, verse by verse. But also, the reason I like it is it makes life just a little easier on me. Because each week, I don't have to sit there and go, I wonder what I'm going to preach about this week. Like, no, my, my passage is already picked. I, I just open it up, study the next section, and, and we talk about it as a church. But, but sometimes we need to take a break on those and, and come to important passage, I mean, important uh, uh, series like, like this one. I think it's really important for us as a church to look at what does it mean to be a church that lives in tension. And so I, I, I went to the scriptures and you see, sometimes it's harder to do the topical because every once in a while you try to find a Bible verse and you try and get it to fit with what you're wanting to say. Well, that, that wasn't the problem this time. My, my problem was there were way too many passages that I could use. Like, for instance, I, I thought about using John 8. John 8 is a story all about a, a woman who was caught in adultery and she gets drugged before Jesus. And these Pharisees are saying, hey, the Old Testament law says that we should stone her. And yet we see Jesus talk about gospel, like display a gospel culture because he forgives the woman just as he convinces the other guys to forgive her. But then he also holds to gospel doctrine. He tells her, go and sin no more. I also thought about going to one of the epistles. The apostle Paul wrote several letters to churches. And oftentimes in those, those letters, the first half is all about gospel doctrine. Like here's what the gospel is. And then you see gospel culture. Like he's saying, here's the gospel doctrine. Here's what should come out of it. So I thought about doing like Ephesians or Colossians or heck, I thought about just doing an overview of the book of Romans. But the reason I picked Titus 2 today is it's another epistle, a letter written by the Apostle Paul, but this one is written to a pastor. And Titus was pastoring a church on the island of Crete. And, and on the island of Crete, there, there was all, all sorts of things going on. And so all these pressures were on the church. And so Paul writes him a letter like, hey, don't forget Here's the type of church you need to be. Here's who God calls you to be. And what we see here in chapter two and chapter three is Paul basically saying, Titus, develop a church that lives in the tension of gospel doctrine and gospel culture. So if you still have your Bible opened up there, look, look at it with me. Otherwise you can uh, read it off the screen with me. Titus two, start at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Pause there. The grace of God. That word grace, it could also be translated gift. That, that God has given us a gift, and that gift is Jesus. He's given us the forgiveness of sins by Jesus dying on the cross for us. And, and so this is the gift of God. It's grace from him, and it has appeared to us. And notice what it does. It brings salvation for all people. I think sometimes we think that, that Christianity here in America, it's, it's for white people. But no, like Christianity is for all people. In the book of Revelations, at the end, by the way, I'll ruin the story, God wins. And at the end, at his throne, the people who are worshiping him, all tongues, tribes, nations, everyone will be present who has put their faith in Christ. This gospel is not just for those in a certain economic class who dress a certain way, who have everything cleaned up. No, this gospel is for anyone who would confess upon Jesus. It is available for all people. This is gospel doctrine. But then notice what he does in verse 12. He shifts from gospel doctrine to gospel culture. This gospel trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Man, right now, our world, they would love to see us just, just dive headlong into ungodliness and passion. 
Like that's what our world does. They just chase after whatever feels good in the moment. And, and, and Paul is saying, no, Timothy, you've got to remind them that this gospel calls us to something better. We don't just give in to every single uh, temptation that we just have in the moment because you won't be the type of person you want to be. We've got to renounce this ungodliness, renounce these worldly passions. Instead, the gospel should help us to live self-controlled, to live upright, to live godly lives in this present age. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's saying, if you have a gospel doctrine that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, it should lead to a gospel culture, a culture where ungodliness is renounced, where, where, where worldly passions are not chased after. Instead, we live self-controlled. We live with this joy. We, we, we live so differently than the way we used to apart from Christ. But then go down to chapter three and notice Paul continues this, but he flips it. Instead of starting with gospel doctrine and going to culture, he begins with culture and then takes that to doctrine. Chapter three, verse one. So he's saying to, to Titus, all right, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Pause there. Oh man, is this one hard? Some of you, you've struggled the last four years to submit to Trump. He's really, really bothered you. Some of you, though, right now with the, the, uh, the networks declaring Biden the winner, you're, you're not looking forward to the next four years. You're really struggling. And yet, if you're going to live out a gospel-centered life, if you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, your true leader is God. And so because you trust a sovereign God, you can trust that he's put in place who he wants in place for these next four years. And so you can be submissive to rulers and authorities. But if you say, yeah, Aaron, oh, hang on, come on. I mean, when, when Paul wrote this, he did not know that guys like Trump and Biden existed. I would say, well, actually, he had Nero. Nero, if you don't know who Nero was, the emperor of the, the uh, Roman government at the time, he would light Christians on fire to light his garden, right? It, the, many historians said that, that uh, when Rome burned, it was actually approved by Nero because he thought, hey, this would allow me to do a, a, a building project, but he didn't want people to think he did it on purpose, so he blamed the Christians. He hated Christians. And yet Paul is saying to these Jesus followers, yeah, you need to be submissive and be respectful to even guys like Nero. He goes on. He says, remind them to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Oh, listen to this next one. To speak evil of no one. Man, our political leaders need to hear this because those ads that were on the TV only spoke evil. May we be different. Speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I've already confessed. I don't like the tension. I don't like the conflict. I want to be in a place where people are gentle. I want to be in a place where they show perfect courtesy towards all people. I want to be in a place that no matter who walks in those doors, they're going to be loved and accepted. We may not agree politically. We may not agree with the, the, their lifestyle. We may not agree on certain things, but we can still be friends. We can still show respect. We can still show kindness because God loves them and Jesus died for them because he brings this salvation to all people. But then notice, he shifts immediately from gospel culture into, um, from culture into doctrine. Skip to verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's saying... Titus, you've got to help them establish this gospel culture. 
that you're, the people there on Crete, they need to know this life-changing gospel. You need to show them love and acceptance and, and act so differently than them. The, the people in Crete were known for just being brutal, and he's calling them to live differently. But the way they're going to establish that culture is to have this gospel doctrine, to be rooted in the story that when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, all because of who he is and what he has done. This is the gospel, and this can change the world. And so if you're listening to this, what does this have to do with you? Well, first of all, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I just want to say first, thank you for coming. Maybe you got drug here. Maybe someone's forcing you to watch right now. I, I don't know the reason you're here, but, but I, I just want you to know I'm glad you're here. And you may not believe this next part, but it is absolutely true. We started Riverwood Church for you. When, when my family moved to Waverly, we did not do what we could to recruit people from other churches to come in and help us start something. We instead put our focus on helping those who felt spiritually disconnected. God just felt distant from them. And we wanted them to know this life-changing gospel. We knew that by trying to start a church this way, it would go slow. That's why it's taken us six years to get to this place. But it's been worth it. We want people to know this life-changing gospel. And so we started Riverwood for you. As I've been teaching this, as I've explained kind of our gospel doctrine here at Riverwood, as we've been looking here in Titus 2 and 3, and as you've been hearing these words, maybe something has been stirring within you. And if so, I'm going to encourage you, give in to that stirring and give your life to Christ. Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And so because he gave his life for you, I invite you now give your life to follow him. When you make that sort of step of faith, when you confess your sin and you accept the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, the scriptures teach us that everything changes about who we are. That internally, at the core of who you are, you go from being spiritually disconnected to God to being completely connected. You go from being a spiritual orphan to now being a son or daughter of the Most High God. You, you, you go from being completely alienated to now being family. This gospel changes everything, and it will change you at the core of your being. And it begins that restoration process so that you slowly begin to look more like Jesus. And you will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. We believe our world desperately needs people who live this way. And we want you to be a part of it. And so most people, when they realize the truth of the gospel, they just mark the moment in prayer. And so if you want right now in the, the privacy of your own heart, you can just let God know, hey, God, I now know the truth. So I, I confess my sin. I accept the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want to be your son and daughter. I want to follow you the rest of my days. But I realize that a number of you that are, are here today, you're here because you've already made a decision like that. That there was a moment in your time where you, you prayed a prayer like that. You said, I'm going to follow God now. And you've been growing in that. So that's why you've chosen to give up a Sunday morning to, to be in a church, even in the middle of a pandemic, to come in person or just take your time and, and, and join online. And so my question for you is, as you've heard this message today, where are you in the tension? Are, are you the type of person who's a little more drawn towards that gospel doctrine? It's all about reading the scriptures, reading books about this, growing in this, but you realize that your heart isn't there, that maybe you've been a little mean at home. You haven't been exactly the kindest person at work. You haven't been exactly honoring to your classmate at school. Or maybe you've been on that gospel culture side. You're, you're a warm, fuzzy teddy bear. You're accepting everyone. You're showing the love of God, but yet you know deep down, I, I'm not, I don't know this gospel. 
I, I'm nice and kind to everyone out there, but I, I, if someone asked me to share the gospel, I, I couldn't share it. I, I don't have the words to put to it. And so maybe what you need to do is spend some more time in the scriptures. Like just read slowly, study through the Titus 2 and 3, which we've just looked at. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, or maybe study the whole book of Romans and just grow in your gospel doctrine and allow your roots to go deeper and deeper as you continue to live out this gospel culture. Because I, I believe that some of us were, were wired more one way or the other. And so where is it you need to grow in so that that tension can be in a healthy place and things can shift properly? Then the last thing, and this is primarily to those who already consider Riverwood their church home or those of you who are thinking that you'd like to make this your church home. If you, if you are part of Riverwood or you want to be, I'm going to ask you, will you help us to be a church that lives in the tension? Will you help us be a church that lives out that gospel culture, that embodies this gospel, that, that is going deeper into the gospel itself? Because this is what our world needs. I don't want us to be a hypocritical church. I also don't want us to be a flimsy church. I want us to be a dynamic church where there is power resonating out of this place. And it isn't because of a building, it is because of the people. So if you're part of Riverwood, would you join us on this mission? Will you help us establish this culture? Will you help us be a church of grace and truth? Will you help us be a church that holds on to gospel doctrine and gospel culture? Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would accomplish this. Even though I believe that this was the dream that you gave me and my family to start Riverwood, it is ultimately your dream because I see it in the scriptures. I've seen it in other churches and, uh, and now I believe that you're calling us as Riverwood to continue on this path. But God, I cannot create this culture by myself. A culture is only established by an entire people group. And so would you help us to be the people who are completely surrendered to Jesus, who live out this gospel culture as we continue to grow in our gospel doctrine. Lord, I pray for anyone right now that, that does not know you, has not surrendered themselves to you, that you would hear their prayer. You'd hear their confession of, of, of sin, that they would place their faith in Jesus and that you would begin this restoration process within them of helping them become more and more like Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that have been walking with you for a while, but they just haven't been growing in the gospel. They've been caught up at maybe, uh, caught up in ministry, so busy working for the church that they haven't really been resting in you. They've been so busy with work um, the, this pandemic has them frazzled. Uh, the, the political climate just has them on edge. Uh, maybe they're going through a, a divorce or, 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 or there's issues going on with a kid. Whatever these problems are, God, we just confess right now, we have not living surrendered lives to you. And so we are not living out a gospel culture and we are not growing in our gospel doctrine. And so God, I pray that you'd humble us right now. You'd give us the strength to commit yet again to making you the center of our lives. Because God, as much as we are hurting, there's so many other people out there hurting. And so let us in our pain bring it to you and then to bring others to you as well. God, would you help us to be a healthy church? Would you help us to be dynamic? Not for our glory. God, I, I wouldn't care one bit if the name of Riverwood faded, but the name of Jesus was known throughout this entire region. I long to see people surrender to you, a revival to happen. We'd love to be a part of it. But God, you're in control. So do with us what you need to. 
Do with all the churches in our region what you need to, to accomplish your mission of helping people to find you and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.